Welcome to this episode of Season 4 of The Common Bridge, where policy and current events are discussed in a fiercely nonpartisan manner. The host, Richard Helpy, is a philanthropist, entrepreneur, and political analyst who has reached over 3.5 million listeners, viewers, and readers around the world. The Common Bridge is available on the Substack website and the Substack app. Just search for The Common Bridge. You can find the program on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. The Common Bridge draws guests and audiences from across the political spectrum, and we invite you to become a free or paid subscriber on your favorite medium. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Common Bridge. You have a special treat today. Rich is approaching his 200th episode here in a couple of weeks, and I thought I would drop my head in here. I'm Brian. I'm the producer that you hear about every now and then. And so, Rich, welcome. I'm glad I'm glad you're back from a, a really cool vacation. And I'd like to talk to you a little bit about what's gone on over the past three and a half seasons. Does that sound all right? Aloha, Brian. Okay, that's the tell about where the vacation was. It's a wonderful place. I highly recommend. It's not only climate, it's culture, music, people, gentleness. If you haven't been, save up. It's worth it. And Brian, if you don't mind, if I could, before we talk about any of the episodes and guests, I first want to thank the audience. And I appreciate that you not only listen and you view and you read, but hopefully you're telling your friends and hopefully you're coming on to Substack. There's no cost. And adding to the comments, I get a lot of private messaging, which I do appreciate. I'd like to stimulate a little bit of conversation. And one of the things in reflecting on these nearly 200 episodes is this. Uh, the Common Bridge was set up so that we could start talking to each other, get off these polarized extremes. And there's no way that somebody way over on this poll is going to convince, cajole, threaten, motivate somebody way over on this poll to come all the way over here and vice versa. Okay, that's not going to happen. But maybe if we can reason together, we could come up with policies and approaches that are at least better than where we're at today. And I think we've had some good progress on that. And my lessons and my takeaways are a couple of things. First of all, there's better information readily available outside of the cesspools of the most popular social media, uh, big tech censored, monitored platforms. There's better information available outside of this right versus left, conservative versus liberal slash progressive, red versus blue media system. And in fact, one of our earlier guests, Matt Taibbi, who wrote books about the Great Divide and Hate Inc. and the Insane Clown President explaining all this, we've seen it manifest. So the, the bad news is that that business model still going and I, I can punctuate it like this. And Two recent guests. We had Dr. Lorraine Starr on talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion. And when we promoted that episode, the right wing went berserk. And a lot of them, you could read the comments that they hadn't actually heard or read or listened to the episode, but boy, did they ever know where they stood. The next week, we had a conservative columnist, Adam Coleman, uh, asking as a question, does the media treat the conservative voice unfairly? And we promoted it and the left went berserk. So that I think 
talks about the problem. But I, when I think about the solution, how many learned people we've had come on and talk to us about immigration, about election laws, about the environment, about energy policy, about where we're at with big tech, whether the war in the Ukraine was legal, what does it look like from a historical standpoint? And of course, where were we on COVID? What should we do about guns and healthcare? There's better stuff out there. And I just want to encourage everybody to leave that old media model behind, leave that old political thinking behind, because we're going to keep doing it as long as we keep consuming it. So let's think about that new media model. With every one of my guests, I learn things and it makes me think. And I have the common bridge not to influence people, uh, but really to inform them. And then because I'm a problem solver, my skill set was in writing computer code. You're always trying to solve a problem or starting a business. You're trying to solve a problem for a client. It's just kind of the way I'm wired. So I, I learned things and I think, well, what would be a better solution? So, or what comes next? And so John Bacon comes on and we kind of go through the economics of college football and what they're going to be doing. And it's like, well, I kind of think that we're looking at, at some point, separating those football teams from the universities. Maybe there'll still be an ownership interest, but like, it'll be like a minor league. And I don't know, something like every person gets to play 55 games or until they turn 30 and then you're out of the league. If you don't make the NFL by then, none of this uh, student eligibility and red shirting and all that and transfer portals and just come on. It's a pro league. Let's just call it that. So anyway, John was a great interview, but we've had some other ones. And I want to take you back to episode 158. And trust me on this one, it was called Woman Erased, How Degendering is Eliminating the Biological Woman. And that was with Trisha Posner. And it was back in June of 2022. And man, did that thing blow up on social media. The comments got very aggressive. Would you like to comment on that one? I thought that was an amazing interview. I Actually, I would. And I don't really fear being canceled because it's not, you know, you, you've got to be fearless about this. So first of all, because of my deep connections in the healthcare industry and in dealing with the data all the time and having lots of contacts, I, you know, I did talk to a lot of people. And what everyone should understand is that any kind of thing that can happen in utero does happen. And then there are things, there are people that are, are born with indeterminate genitalia. There are people that are born with uh, different chromosome mixes. There are people that, you know, may have a penis, but also ovaries and people that have a vagina, but they may have testicles, gonads up. And, and so it, it's a complex thing and we need to do right by all the, the people that are affected with the most compassion. But now as I start seeing this trend toward, well, we're going to not tell parents and we're going to regender or gender affirm or degender adolescents, I, I think, okay, if this was such a big problem and for so long, wouldn't it stand to reason that we should have a cadre of 25-year-olds and 35-year-olds and 50-year-olds and 60-year-olds saying, hey, i been in the wrong body. I should have had gender-affirming care. I didn't. I'm going to go get it now. Shouldn't that be kind of a tidal wave if it's so popular today? And, and then I think about the process is that a young person going through a difficult and much changing part of life 
and say, you know, I, I don't feel like a man. Well, guess what? You haven't been one yet. Okay. <laughs> you, but you've still got to get there. You've got to let the process continue. You haven't been, I don't feel like a woman. Well, of course you don't because you haven't been there yet. And then the industry, and I'm using that term industry on purpose with these young people that says, okay, so to be your natural self, we're going to shut down the hormones that your body is naturally producing. That doesn't make sense. Well, wait a minute. And then we're going to introduce, to make you more natural, hormones that are unnatural to your body. And then, well, we find out what, you know something, you're still not feeling great. You're still feeling lost. You're still feeling depressed. Well, let's go surgically. And now you've passed the point of no return. You can never undo it. And while we need that compassion for folks that need to become aligned, or if they become an adult and want to do something with their body, fantastic. Okay, it's a free country. Go ahead. But this notion that we have all these adolescents who mysteriously need gender-affirming care, I don't see the logic in it. And it just feels to me like other people have said, like, it's the new lobotomy. Okay, we're probably canceled off nine platforms now. (laughs) What else you want to talk about? Well, I I want to talk to you about something I think is really, really interesting. We've had journalists and longtime Rolling Stone uh, writer Matt Taibbi on twice. And the reason I say twice and why I want to bring this up is when we first had him on, he was kind of a darling of the left as a longtime journalist for the Rolling Stone. And he came out, spent a lot of time in the in, uh, Soviet Union. I don't think he grew up there, but he spent some time there. Yeah, he lived and, there in, in both Soviet Russia and in um, uh, post-Soviet Russia. Yeah. And then uh, and, by t- and, and he was a great guest and, and uh, really uh, gracious with his time. Uh, both times. But by the second time we had him on, the left started to reject him. Do, do you want to talk a little bit about how cool it was having Matt on? And we'll probably have him on again. But what that was like and kind of how that's fluctuated and how maybe it speaks to the common bridge. Yeah, well, Matt's problem okay, is, I think, real clear. All right. Matt's a real journalist. Um, Matt uh, goes and uh, gets firsthand information, interviews people, looks at documents, experiences it and writes it. And he just calls, tells what he sees. This is not the way journalism is practiced. And we've had other guests on the show talking about this in a similar vein, including, you know, speech codes and and such. Look at, again, his books, uh, The Great Divide, Hate Incorporated, Insane Clown President. Uh, he's an avowed Democrat, left-leaning Bernie Sanders supporting guy. But when he goes to Loudoun County, Virginia, and says this whole thing's been misreported because he actually went there and it blows up the narrative that was put down by the left, instead of attacking the story, which they can't, instead of attacking the facts, which they can't, they attack him. It's patently absurd. Another guy, Thomas Frank, if you remember, a great two-part series, and we actually republished it. I think we're a little early with the story, uh, talking about populism. And this was a guy that thinks that the liberal left has kind of gone too far. And and the guy, again, he's far from being a far-right guy. He's not even a right-wing guy, but he just got beat up. And, you know, look, of course, this happens on both sides of, you know, a person that's on the right that goes left is all of a sudden a pariah. Just uh, I guess the bigger picture is this, Brian. We don't all have to be red, blue, right, left, whatever. It's like, can we deal with facts again? 
please? <laughs> you know, can we actually have a conversation? Well, it, it kind of gets back to something that you talked about, about uh, this show. It, we're not about sound bites. We're on for an hour. Right? Sometimes the stuff goes longer than an hour and you guys have long discussions and it really starts to ferret out what the ideas are. But like you say, if it doesn't fit up with the right or left narrative. I agree, Brian. We suck at sound bites. Um, <laughs> and a little tip that I use when I listen to podcasts you know, on, on your device, you can speed it up one and a quarter speed, one and a half speed, two speed, um, right. something so you keep going or the uh, nice leisurely pace. Uh, but we had Jerry Clayton on the sheriff of Washington County. He said at the end of the interview, he said, you know, I usually have 30 or 40 seconds to try to say something. He goes, this was great having this nuanced conversation. And Sheriff Clayton was a guy that really gives you good comfort because he and former Detroit Police Chief James Craig, Bruce Helpy, my cousin, uh, lots of experience in the police force on the, as a, a patrol officer. You get the idea there's a lot of good things and a lot of good people out there. And we need to be honest. We need to report the negative. We need to clean up. And we need to keep it in context. Back in, I think it was August of 2001, we had a comic. And it's funny that back then that was his authority. He was was a comedian. And that's Constantine Kisson. And Kisson now is really blown up on the world stage most recently at the Oxford University. uh, I think it was the, the, the debate club. And you can see it on YouTube. And it's really gone viral what he's been talking about with cancel culture. Do you want to comment a little bit about what it was like having Constantine on the show? I know we had a good time with him because it was fun. But Yeah, uh, uh, Constantine's got a great view. You know, a guy that had to leave Russia, move to London, build his life from there. And, you know, he goes to Oxford and he speaks candidly and nobody could argue with him. Um, so what they want to do is they want to attack him or basically idolize him. All right. And instead of let's have a discussion about what he said, did he go too far in one spot? Was he trying to make a joke, etc.? But it was a brilliant short video. If you look it up on YouTube, Constantine Kissin. And yes, indeed, we hope to have him back. He's pretty famous now. So hopefully he'll watch this and we can bring him back a little bit. Constantine, <laughs> we'd love to have you. Um, but it also the thought occurred to me, what if we sent him to a university in Oregon? What if we sent him to Princeton? What if he wanted to go speak at Columbia? Or Berkeley. Berkeley. And these are all places that, instead of listening to someone's ideas, will chase them from the stage and and write to the university. Don't let this person come on campus. There was a time when universities were a place to exchange thought and for a person to learn and to grow. And now we're getting into this, not only reckless of, let's suppress speech, this goes beyond the uh, college campus, but it's what's the required speech. You didn't say these five things. And the the uh, denial's palpable. Rich, who was our guest that we had on from, was it Penn State? Alumni on free speech, college free speech. That was on on, on uh, uh, Princeton. Princeton. And, yeah, it was. That's and, right. It was a, a, a great piece, and uh, this is part of the group called uh, FIRE, F-I-R-E. I don't remember what that stands for, but it talks about speech rights. And I won't tell you the persuasion of the person I was talking to, but I had a, a friend, PhD, college professor, making the case for speech codes as a good thing, You know, restricting what people could put on their caps, on their T-shirts, on what they could say and such. And I said, great. I said, let's put those in place. 
and I'll be a one person committee to decide what's in bounds and out of bounds. <laughs> and the, <laughs> the look on my friend's face was priceless. But it's like, well, no, 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 we, we don't want you. Like, okay, well, who do you want to have all this power? And that's the fallacy that I see on this right versus left is that they all imagine they're going to be in 100% control that the other side's going to go away. And we've had on the show, and I've done editorials and solo episodes about the parallels leading up to the Civil War of the 1860s. And, and if we're not in a Civil War now, we are so damn close, it's highly concerning. And of course, I've commented on things that our current president, President Unity, has done. And, you know, even his most vocal critics are kind of cringing at his Philadelphia speech. I mean, where are the states people that are saying, can we reason together? And please, I want to be your president, your senator, everybody's. I think you're absolutely right on that one. So so what you're saying is it's coming down to not necessarily what policy is with some of these folks. Now it's like, which, whose team are you on? Yeah. And, and it, it just it becomes like an old kickball game in elementary school. It's like, I don't care what your thoughts are. You're going to be on my team or not be on my team. Yep. And that's what happened. That's what's happened to Taibbi, I think, unfortunately. And then once Elon Musk hired him to look through the Twitter papers, that just solidified him. And look, our FBI director going to Davos and saying there's been great strides between government and big tech platforms. Like it's okay. What kind of society are we going to have if the federal agencies, those elected and those part of the bureaucracy, control what get print, gets printed and gets and what the truth is. Yeah. You've had a couple of guests throughout the seasons that have been great for us and great for them as well because they get to say what, what they mean in, in, in within an hour or so. And one of them is Dr. James Baker, a University of Michigan professor emeritus in internal medicine. And he's been back a few times, both in studio. I think he's always been in studio. No, we had him online and in studio. Yes. But talk about how important he's been through COVID. Dr. Baker has been phenomenal. He's now on a local TV program on a fairly regular basis and always willing to come back and talk to us on the Common Bridge. I think he's really represents the best of research and medicine and vaccines. I mean, when you look at his credentials, you know, he had been with the military for a period of time. Uh, he ran the vaccine program at Merck. He is a physician and a researcher at Michigan Medicine and Immunology. And so his learned voice really was kind of what we all should have been doing. Like when we hit this thing with COVID, people were looking for absolutes. And he really said, here's what we know today. Here's how this vaccine is designed to work based on what we know today. And, and as more data and more evidence comes forward, He's been able to talk about what the differences are. And I don't think the guy's a political bone in his body. Right. He's just a scientist. Yet at the same time, we now know that there was a absolute truth provided about, you know, what was the origins of the virus itself. And when we talk about the vaccines, let's be very candid. We're all in the Petri dish. Nobody knows exactly what's going to happen because there hasn't been time for any long-term testing. And so when your friends are telling you they don't work and you'd be a fool to get them, but we all know people that didn't get them, that died from COVID. I know I did. And 
you have people that are saying, oh, I'm going to go collect as many as I can. And then they've got four shots, five shots, and then they've got a heavy dose of COVID. So the data is still elusive at this point. But as it pertains to our show, it's about informing where we stand today. And early on, we had Dr. Martin Kuldorf from the Harvard School of Medicine, highly qualified man, saying that we were going down the wrong path from a public health perspective. And very early on, it's like we shouldn't be closing the schools. We we should be protecting the vulnerable, researching a vaccine. But most people weren't going to get very sick. Very, very few children were affected at all, period, full stop. And he was suppressed, kicked off Twitter. There's emails that are inside of the NIH about trying to disparage the guy. And when you look back, he was right. Rich, your show was one of the only shows that gave him that kind of room to explain what he was talking about. He was shut down around the world for the Great Barrington Declaration, him and uh, and his two other colleagues shut down. But early on, and that was during the heat of that, you were one of the only shows that would give him, you know, as much time as he needed to, to uh, explain what what their theory was. Exactly. And both Dr. Koldorf and Dr. Baker had lots of deep knowledge about the Spanish flu. And I like one of the lines from Dr. Baker. He said, we knew that epidemic was over when people stopped dying in the streets. Okay. <laughs> Which, <laughs> okay, good. Um, and, uh, you know, with COVID, you know, we really don't know when it's over because we find lots of asymptomatic positive results. On that same vein, you've had a couple of uh, of other reoccurring guests that have been a lot of fun for us and, and really informative. One of them is um, Professor Anthony Colangelo, who kind of spans the globe with some of his. It's, it's like if you come up with something that you're reading about that week, sometimes you go, well, let's see what what Professor Colangelo has to say. And he's great. He comes on and talks about it. And t- tell us about how important he's been to the show. Well, I think he's a great example because when the news reports things and they're the first, they start with their narrative. It's a right narrative or it's a left narrative. And then they go in and try to fill in the blanks. And then they go and try to get a bite, a sound bite from somebody that they put in there. And then they literally look at a monitor in their newsroom to see how many clicks, likes, shares, and such of that article they get. Okay. They're not, they're not starting with first, like a real journalist should do, what came first, what's happening now, what might the future look like. And what Professor Colangelo is so good about and so comforting is that a lot of the things that we see have have already been codified in international law. And he spoke about, you know, was it legal for NATO to defend Ukraine? And guess what? Somebody's actually thought about that before. And Professor Jesse Kaufman from Eastern Michigan University talking about all the ways the lines are moving in Ukraine and and what's happened before and you know what may happen next and his prognostication was this war does not end without regime change either in Kiev or in Moscow and we're you know we're still waiting to see the results of that so it just gives me great comfort to know that there are good people out there that have a command of this subject matter and what I'm imploring my readers and my viewers and my uh, listeners to do is to let people know about this program. 
and you can get real information. Now, by the way, you're not going to agree with this. This is not an affirmation program. It's not affirmation programming at all. It is, this is, I, I will always try to say this is what the person's qualifications are. Let them explain where they're from. I try to ask questions that their critics might be asking and I try to let them have an opportunity to explain the nuance. There's so many good qualified voices out there that used to, and Rick Geddes was another one, Professor Geddes. Oh, you seem oh, to yeah. find these people and they love being on. And there's so many more of them than there are talking heads that say the same thing on CNN, Fox or whatever. We find some really interesting people. Professor Rick Geddes also on the infrastructure a couple times and then talking about the history of the post office. And, and when you hear a guy like this, you go, and we're going to be okay. Because <laughs> <That's right. laughs> I, I remember asking him in one of the infrastructure, like, do we have enough of like people to do this? And he's like, oh, yeah, we have the best materials engineers. We have the best civil engineers. It's like, because, you know, what do you hear on the mainstream press? Oh, you know, we don't have enough engineers. They're all in India and China and Vietnam. We're going to end in 90 seconds. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's good to hear from people like that. And, and of course, look, they're involved in an international trade. And so we had Bill Michaels early on. And this guy, you know, if he tells me what numbers to bet in the lottery, I'm going to do that. Because when he talked about supply chain and what's going to happen, it's like, yep, 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 yep. It all, it all came to be. And he's coming back in a few weeks. We're going to have him on as a returning guest. He is the godfather of logistics. And then we had Robert Greenfield talking about what's going on in China and China trade and Australia and Aaron Bosky from China talking about what's happening there and how U.S. policies differ. You know, so these are people that have real frontline experience. They don't have an agenda. They're just happy to share. And we're, we're just the bridge, the conduit to get it out there to folks. Now, you've had a few guests and a very few, and I can think of one, one in particular who kind of uh, got on the show, thought it was going to be something else like an affirmation show and turned out kind of uh, stopped in their tracks a bit on what their narrative was. And one of them was former United States attorney, Barbara McQuaid. And she was on for a two-parter, but I think she came away with a different or maybe came away with a different point of view because she thought she was going to be able just to do the enlarged soundbite, as it were. But that didn't happen on your show. Do you want to talk about that at all? Well, look, I, I love Barbara, right? And I've you know, known her you know, from, from years back, and uh, she's done some interesting things. Uh, you know, the prosecution at Kwame Kilpatrick uh, was one of those. But it's tragic because now she's so predictable. It's hilarious where... You can almost pre-write what she's going to say. If if it affects the Democrats in a negative way, she's going to come up and tell you why it's good. And then all this like incredibly speculation, a lot of it crazy, about, <laughs> well, what could this mean for Trump? And it was, uh, oh, God, uh, oh, Trump's going to be charged with manslaughter. You know, and, and exaggerated how many people were killed at the um, Capitol. And then another low light was going to do a book review when Bill Barr's book came out and then proudly said, well, we didn't read the book. It's like, <laughs> so so your reporting now is less credible than a seventh grade book report, you know, but there's still people that follow this. And, and look, it's not just she's just, you know, one person we had on. A lot of people don't know that both Tucker Carlson and Rachel Maddow have testified or had testimony on their behalf, sworn testimony that, hey, nobody can take this stuff seriously. We're just entertaining. 
that's the common bridges difference. We're informing. And yeah, it's might be a little deeper and, and less emotional response, but you're going to get real information. I want to hit on a couple things, Brian, about look, look at, and this is a, a great example. The largest sector of the economy is healthcare. And in fact, it's the largest sector in the largest economy in the history of the world. And that is not an original view from me, but it's a was told to me by a fellow named Ben Rooks, and he attributed it to a fellow named Rich Tarrant. Rich had, uh, I think Rich had run for office in uh, Vermont. He ran a very successful healthcare IT company. But it's it's very serious, and it's something that affects everybody. So we've had on the show, and I hope I remember them all, Nate Kaufman, Brian Peters, Dean Clancy, Chris Allen, Carl Albrecht, all from different perspectives about healthcare. And basically, we, and I say we because I also agree, and I've published editorials about this, what to do about healthcare in the United States. Yet the people we actually elect to do that don't do it. And the people that we subscribe to and pay money to and listen to, to report to us about that, don't report to it. And that's, to me, really, we have solvable problems if we can just listen to each other. And, you know, Chris Allen comes from a, you know, urban public health background. Dean Clancy is more, I, I don't know if libertarians going too far, but more free market oriented. And they all kind of look at the problem. Go, yep, that's the thing we need to do. And of course, we've had Rob Caslew and Wright Lassiter and people actually running health systems coming in and saying, this is what I'm seeing. And then fortunately, we have now moved to the point where we're talking about what's going on with mental health care. And we've had Judge Milton Mack on a couple times, who's been a leader in that field. And then recently, Dr. Victor Hong. And then I think this is related. Our most recent episode with Dr. Nicholas Tito talking about the medically assistance in dying in Canada. Hopefully, we're covering the waterfront there. I think you'd be yeah, covering a great amount of that. And hopefully, folks will listen to this episode, too. If you're in an industry where you feel you might have something to say on this, contact the show, too, because we like to have you on as a guest. Sure. We'd love to have guest columnists, guests to appear on the show. Your recommendations for guests would be great. Or if you've, you've got just a column in you, don't, you don't have to commit to writing two. But gosh, we'd sure like to hear from you. So uh, anything to wrap this episode up? Anything you want to talk to the audience about before we say goodbye? I just want to say that I think that we have a brighter future than what's represented by the political structure, political systems, and particularly the political parties. And, you know, we've covered elections a lot, the ranked choice voting, how elections are conducted in other countries, whether we should have the electoral college or not, proportional voting, what's actually in the voting bills and such. So I, I think our democracy or, or constitutional republic form of democracy is in pretty good shape structurally. We just have bad behavior in it. And we're going to keep getting the bad behavior as long as we keep accepting it. And, and to your earlier point about it becomes a team sport like kickball or dodgeball or something. No, it doesn't matter if, if your team doing it, if it's a good thing or a bad thing? Is it a good thing or a bad thing? Let's start there. And then similarly, the split in the traditional legacy media, cable media that's probably on its way out and certainly on the social media platforms doing the same thing. They're not serving us. They're not serving regular people. They're, they've got a business model that it depends 
and I guess it's my show I can say it any way I want to, it depends on you being pissed off and keep stoking that anger. And we've got a better answer that let's join the good people and support them in doing good stuff. And they're not always going to be right. And the solutions are not always going to be perfect, but there's good folks working on good stuff and we have better ways of doing things than what we're doing right now. Totally agree. And I would argue that the common bridge, and this isn't self-serving, but the common bridge is a place to go where it's not going to feed into your anger. It's going to feed into the information bank that will help you make better decisions and kind of maybe put off those TV shows, what are just TV shows just to keep you angry. Well, let me give you a quick anecdote. And this is, again, something that we heard from offline that one of our support people on the show got an email from a relative that heard the session with Dr. Victor Hong about the state of psychiatric care in the United States today. And it was really interesting. It was like, oh, as soon as he talked about his childhood experience, you know, handling guns, I was going to cut him off, right? It was like, oh, you fired a gun in your life that you have to, I have to stop listening. But she said, I, the, the letter that she wrote was, but I kept listening. And then I realized that just by asking insightful questions, you can get a full picture. And by the end of the episode, I found myself more comforted that things were moving along and everybody didn't need to be perfect. And that's what we're trying to do here. I think you do it well as your producer. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I know you tell me otherwise, and you're not shy about saying that's a bad idea. uh, Just to, uh, um, this will be fun for an episode coming up. You and I have talked about this for a while because we have a lot of it. And that's just to kind of go into viewer mail and comment a little bit about what, what goes on. And I will say this, the viewer mail or the comments that come in on social media, uh, Facebook, uh, that pool, uh, are way different from the more seemingly educated comments that we get from the Substack side, where people have a little bit more of an in-depth question or an in-depth analysis instead of just reacting to a screenshot or you know reacting to a graphic. Uh, but let's you and I do that again, maybe next week or the week after in a coming episode, because I think that it would be, I think the audience would like to hear you respond to some of that as well. Yeah. And I think you made a good point there. And most of the stuff that we get comes in privately, direct message and such. And occasionally we get a post on Substack, which we'd sure like to have a lot more. And my takeaway is this, that the reactions that we get on some of the other social media platforms where people are identifying themselves is a lot more vitriol and a lot more division. And you can pretty much see, you know, which flag they've got themselves wrapped in. And people that have a more reasoned approach are not as open to just being out there. And and I get it just because of, of my experience. If I run a, a program on healthcare, for example, it's not going to make everybody happy. But I want to ask, is it better than what we've had? I've been attacked as a bleeding heart liberal, a neocon, a Trump, whatever, you know, a Biden. And by the way, that's been on the same episode. So it's like, you know, we, I know we've got to, we've got to move past that. And so I I just like to ask people, look, if you go to substack.com, you put in the common bridge, please subscribe. Sometimes their links make it think you're going to have to pay for something, whatever you want. And, And you'll get the updates as they come out generally every week. And you can go to your favorite podcast outlet and you can go to YouTube and look up the common bridge or Richard Helpy. And uh, find us there and, you know, share us with your friends and just know when you're going in, you're not going to 
like everything you hear. You're not going to agree with everything, but I'm hoping you're going to come away with more information and also maybe a little bit of confidence in the future that there's good people out there doing good things. Well, Rich, with that, we'll wrap this one up. And um, congratulations on a, on a great run so far. And watching the audience grow has been great from the production end of it anyway. It's been a lot of fun to watch. Well, let me just say this. This is Rich Helpy signing off on The Common Bridge. Thanks for joining us on The Common Bridge. Subscribe to The Common Bridge on Substack.com or use their Substack app where you can find more interviews, columns, videos, and nonpartisan discussions of the day. Just search for The Common Bridge. You can also find The Common Bridge on Mission Control Radio on your Radio Garden app.